Welcome to the New England Take on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead, and this is the first edition of this show. We're very excited to bring it to you here today. We've got two guests. The first one will be Marty England of the Continuum Arts Collective and the Reconstructed, which is his band. We're going to talk about the work of his nonprofit, which gives instruments to kids and supports music education for the K-12 through uh, student population in Maine and New Hampshire. So it's, and then we also kind of dive into the importance of music and how it's really important as children grow older and how that, how those skills help them as they become adults. Afterwards, in the third segment, we're going to be joined by Chris Ryan of New Hampshire Today, which broadcasts on WKXL from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. and is based out of WGIR in Manchester. We're going to talk about the importance of radio in 2021 and how the it, the industry isn't going anywhere, how it's really evolved with the times into podcasting, uh, live streaming online, and various services like that. So I, th- I think it's really it's it's really interesting discussion, plus kind of where conversations go and political discourse, especially in radio, where it, it's uh, – talk radio isn't going anywhere, and I think nowadays it's even more important than it was uh, 10 years ago, especially with the state of politics and how the polarization of social media and Congress and radio is in a very unique situation. So you don't want to miss that spot. The New England Take is a brand new show, like I said. We're going to be coming to you every Friday at 6 p.m. You'll be able to follow us on Facebook and Twitter if you go to New England Take. Uh, Plus, we're going to be podcasting every episode on Apple, Google, and Spotify, as well as Anchor, which is our host. And you'll be able to every week get each episode at 7 p.m. when they broadcast right after the broadcast so if you want to be able to listen to it anywhere in the world on your own time definitely the podcast platform is the way to go I'm also trying something new we're going to be trying a Patreon uh, if you go to thenewenglandtake.com we are offering various tiers from $3 to $10 if you're an individual and you'll get the episode a day early and we're, I'm trying to build up some perks. I want to hear from you guys. If Please mention in the comments of on social media and on Patreon what you think of what we're doing, how we can expand it, what you want to see from me because I want to build a community. I want to work with the audience to really give you guys interviews that you're interested in and get some of you guys on the air to talk about your, your uh, takes on the world because I, I think that's this should be really involved with the audience as much as possible. Um, so and also on that page you'll find links for sponsorships. We want to get some sponsors to support the show so we can keep it going. I'd love to be able to go two or three days a week for sure at least and uh, be able to give you content on at least three days a week for sure. Uh, if you go there you'll see the different rates we have and definitely reach out to the New England Take at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me to figure how we can work together to promote your business, your Facebook page, anything you want. We'll we'll work something up for sure. All right, we're going to be taking a quick break. You're listening to the New England Take on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back with Marty England of the Continuum Arts Collective and the Reconstructed. Welcome back to the New England Take on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. You can subscribe to the show on Patreon by going to thenewenglandtake.com and subscribe to the show on po- your favorite podcast platform, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. It's all this is the New England Take on all those platforms. Excited to see you on those, as well as on Facebook and Twitter. 
I am joined by the first guest of the show, Marty England of the Continuum Arts Collective and the Reconstructed and 15 million other things I'd imagine. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, AJ. Very excited to be here. So where are you based out of? We are in a tiny town in southwestern Maine called North Berwick. Um, North Berwick is named or is known for Pratt & Whitney, who make like jet engines, and Huzzy's Seating, who make like all the bleachers for every stadium in the world. Huzzy's. That's a, that's a name. Huzzies. I'm from central Maine, so I, I'm used to the Huzzy's general store, uh, oh, weddings, yeah. dresses, and shotguns or something to that effect, and beer. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Right on the signs. It's a hilarious that. place yes. to go to. Um, so the Continuum Arts Collective, what exactly does this group do? Continuum Arts Collective assists underserved school-aged artists, musicians in Maine and New Hampshire. So what we do is we provide students with musical instruments, art supplies. We pay for their art and music lessons. We also provide them with experiential opportunities to kind of learn and grow as creators. That's been exponentially harder during COVID-19 because we can't do any in-person stuff. But yeah, so it's we're 100% volunteer driven. And in a nutshell, what I love about CAC is that I was one of the kids that we help. You know, when I was a teenager, um, my parents were just the type of people like, my parents weren't super poor or anything like that. But they definitely, I mean, I've literally had a job since I was five because you just had to, if you wanted to, if you wanted something when you were a kid, you had to work. So I had paper routes. But the other part of support isn't just materials. It's having the support of having your parents get behind your dreams and be like, hey, this matters or this is important, you know. For me, I definitely grew up in a house that... um I was not appreciated on that level. And I'm not like, you know, it's not a pity party or anything. I think most people's parents that I know that are artists and musicians that come from working class families, they definitely were misunderstood as teenagers um, because their parents weren't allowed to dream themselves. So Yeah, they didn't have that experience. I mean, they you, you, you turn 18, you're going to go, especially, you see that a lot in Maine, especially. I mean, the... Oh, the, yeah. the the income levels are not very high with with a, with the majority of the population. So I mean, you get eighteen, you get out of high school. If you're lucky, you go to the tech. If you're not lucky, you're you're working. That's exactly right. And it was, but you know, some of the things I did take from my folks is that my dad was a cop in a small town. I actually grew up in in um, southern New Hampshire in a tiny town called Rollinsford. My mom always took care of the elderly. And my dad used to have a basic saying that if you take care of your community, the rest takes care of itself. And so I think one of the lessons that I did learn from my folks is that it's important. It, community is extremely important. And however you can plug yourself into that, whether it's just volunteering or whether it's starting a you know working class arts organization like we did, I, I do think that that's definitely a takeaway. It's definitely, they didn't teach me how to write songs or, or, you know, do anything else, but they definitely taught me how to serve others. Yeah. It's a community for sure is up there. It's I, for me, it's like I was in scouts I, at my church. 
Um, and I actually got into music when I when I was um, in elementary in uh, middle school also. So that was that was big. Like that was my whole world at the time. So so that's big. Um, now something people don't realize with all this stuff is it's really expensive <laughs> to, yes. for, for the for art. You get have supplies and you're going to use them up. Uh, they're uh, they're products they will be used and eventually they're not going to be able to be used anymore. And on the music side, instruments are crazy expensive. Most students either rent or they're getting some secondhand instrument that hopefully is in decent condition. Yeah. Varying states. It's like I was very lucky in high school where the school had some instruments I was able to use. And can you talk about some of that? Yeah, we definitely started off. Um, this was our fifth. We had our fifth anniversary in February. And we definitely started off mostly taking in donations, fixing those instruments up. Mostly it was instruments. Um, we did not have the money to just go out and buy kids what they wanted. Um, and that is, it's fantastic. I mean, it's great that people are willing. I always call it the guitar of good intention, right? So like people will turn 40 and they'll be like, I'm going to learn guitar. And they have no idea what they're in for because you're supposed to start. I mean, that's, we just try to get younger and younger and younger with the kids that we help because you can start by the time you're 10, you're going to be in fantastic shape by yeah. the time you get out of high school. You try to start when you're 40, your brain's just, it's, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's, it's going to be a long, hard road. So we get yeah. a lot of instruments that like the wife bought, you know, her husband, a guitar for Christmas. And then, we end up with it. And it's been, um, you know, I have to honestly say I did not play brass or wind instrument in high school. I, I played guitar since I was 11. I've been writing songs since I was 11 because I didn't learn how to read sheet, sheet music. So I had to kind of make up my own songs. <laughs> um, but I had no idea how expensive it was to not only purchase a brass or wind instrument, but to maintain it. Cause we get a lot of donations. If we were like, Hey, my daughter, you know, had this saxophone and we want to give it to you and be like, great. And then I'll bring it to the shop and they'd be like, it's like $700 to like repair it. Yeah. So yes, it's, it's cost prohibitive. And it's now it's like, you know, we've served, um, I think we just, on the art supply side, it's always been new stuff. That's we've always had kids that have have applied. Um, we've started off just buying them new stuff because you can't really give somebody unless it's like an easel or something. You can't really give somebody used art supplies. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been. Um, we still take donations. Um, thankfully, what we've been able to do now is a lot of donations that we get, especially weird stuff. And I say weird stuff, we get some weird stuff like Celtic harps and like accordions and just stuff kids are never going to apply for. Um, and what we do a lot of times now is we will have, well, we have, again, we haven't been able to do this for over a year, but we will have like quarterly barn sales where people come in, they'll just buy up our used stuff and we just seed our instrument fund with the money. And then I'm able to standardize by doing that. I'm able to like standardize warranties and stuff like that and buy all the kids, the same instruments. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. I mean, that's I, like, I, 
my my first few instruments I did were I was a saxophone and clarinet. There's a lot of little parts, and if one mm-hmm. of those little screws goes, the whole instrument doesn't work and you can't play in a group as a kid if a couple of the notes don't work because you're going to mess up the entire performance and super embarrassing it is and one of the things we kind of realized during this is that there's kids always just rent an instrument um and at the end of the day what i think is interesting is people always kind of confuse us with like some type of talent agency or something like we're looking to make these kids stars And what we know about art and music is that they, and you know this because you play music, it's like they allow you to make connections within yourself and with other people. There is no other endeavor that really allows you to do that than art or music. And if these kids play after they get out of high school, fantastic. If they don't, that's fine. It helped them get through a part of their life that... They would have otherwise had, I mean, I had a really hard time in adolescence myself and music. I mean, it's, you know, it, everybody always thinks it's dramatic when you say, well, music saved my life. I really think in a lot of ways it did It helped me realize who I was, helped me realize I'm a creative guy. And, you know, I think for a lot of these kids, the kids that we serve, they're typically rurally isolated. They live at or below the poverty level. And you've lived in rural Maine, so you know what this is like. And it's it's basically, we're kind of, a lot of times when we introduce a kid to something, they will, they'll get into it and then they realize like, hey, actually, um, I know I said I wanted to do watercolors, but I just saw my friend playing with this beats program and I think I want to be a DJ. It'd be like, awesome, great. No, no harm, no foul. Let's get you into that, you know, and it's, it's, um, I think for these kids that, first of all, I did not know, my wife runs a program at Noble High School here in North Berwick. It's called Multiple Pathways. And we, majority of the kids that we've served up until a couple of years ago, they all came out of a program and Noble High School was fantastic in that they really embraced Continuum Arts Collective. They embraced what we did. They let us into their school um, and we were able to put our own instructor in there who was teaching like bass, guitar, ukulele. He'd teach like 60, 70 kids a year. Um, these kids really needed that. And we were, when COVID hit, it was interesting because principal came to us like a year ago and said, Hey guys, I hate to tell you this, but in the fall, we can't have your instructor come back into school unless, unless the pandemic ends, you know? So we, we had to move away from that and we ended up making a partnership with Portsmouth music and art center, um, which has actually been extremely advantageous because now we can offer these kids all these different disciplines that we didn't before. If I had like a request for like student would apply and they would be like, Hey, I want piano lessons. I would have to go find a piano teacher for them. I would have to establish a relationship with that teacher. And now with online, it's like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is what we try to do is remove barriers for these kids. One of the biggest barriers in where we live is transportation. Definitely. Um, driver's ed now costs $550 a year. And 
a lot of their parents, they just don't have the support from their parents to like necessarily drive them to lessons. Um, a lot of the jobs they could get, they're like adults working those jobs. Like they're working at Cumbies, at Subway, places, Roma Joe's. Um, so they're kind of like stuck in the weeds. And it's, you know, it's for us, it's it's just nice to be able to remove some barriers for, for some people that looked a lot like we did when we were that age. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's really interesting what COVID has done with regards to the arts and how... Uh, musicians have rethought how what they do and what being a musician in 2020 and 2021 looks like. I mean, I, I produce Granite State of Mind with Rob Azevedo. Uh, definitely, everyone, please follow that show. It's fantastic. He's, he's no longer on KXL, but he's still uh, broadcasting out of Manchester. Um, but so many musicians like, okay, we're just going to do live streams. We're going to put a tip tip hat out where there's all their Venmo and PayPal links and all that and say, Hey, you're getting some free music support. If you can, um, on Facebook and things like that, others went the YouTube route and figured out ways to, to monetize it. Um, I could speak to his Mr. Aaron, who's a kids musician based out of Concord. Um, and he figured out doing like a Patreon sort of format where kid, where families would pay and anyone that was on, in the room could do have music class for uh, preschool to first grade or something like that. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a, it, it, it's interesting. I think where there is, where it seems like, you know, where things break down, there's always an opportunity. Right. And, you know, I always say, and I think, I mean, we, me, you and I may have been talked about this at work, but it's basically like if this had happened 20 years ago, yeah, it would, <laughs> it would have been, been so bad. Catastrophe. I mean, think about like 1918 when the, you know, the Spanish flu happened. It was like, I can't even imagine trying to live through that time. I can't imagine doing any of my music stuff 10 years, 20 years ago. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, true. Like I, I picked up like, yeah, I started like clarinet and saxophone was interesting. To, it was cool to get started, but I dug elect, electronic music production and radio and electric guitar and bass and stuff like that. And that's where I really found the like continuing interest after education. Um, Cause I think it's super important. I think having that music in your life is it wires your brain differently. If you get into it when you're young, the being able to just figure out on the fly, like I got to learn how to work with a bunch of other kids, like, like through, like I did jazz extensively playing tenor saxophone. I'm like, you need to, learn how to work with other people you don't get to run the show the whole time you get to run the show sometimes so i liked about jazz you get to still take the lead sometimes but it's teamwork it is yeah and that's a jazz is an art form unto itself it's a yeah it's i mean i think all those things you talk about there it's like music one of the things that we always try to share with our kids is that you know i've i've done a u.s tour before I've been out on the road. I've been gigging since I was 14 years old. And I played like my first gig, which was like in a double wide trailer in Wells, Maine. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be like, you know, they always think they have this approach where they have to go for it somehow. And it's like, that's cool. Art and music don't have to be an all or nothing endeavor. But here's the, here's the critical piece is that if you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And you want to reach self-actualization. If you are an artist or musician and you're depriving yourself of art and music, 
you can never be self-actualized. You can never be your best self. And so what I try to say is like, listen, you don't have to, you don't have to go on the road, but man, it feels so good to jam with other people. It doesn't matter what the venue is. It could be in your living room. It feels good for me to sit here in my chair and, and write songs and have my dogs at my feet. You know, it brings you a sense of inner peace and purpose that just, I think, I think a lot of people miss out on. Yeah, and self-confidence too, for sure. I mean, I was uh, definitely a super quiet kid until I got mm-hmm. into it and um, it taught me, taught me to be able to step out a lot more and be like, I'm doing this. Like I, this isn't something that would have even crossed my mind when I was in high school, I, but I got confidence to be able to get in front of people and talk or play or do anything like that. And it, it really, re, I really think it, it rewires your brain and how you, how you work. Um, so I, I want to be able to leave enough time to also talk about your, your personal music experience, but before, before we do, like, how do people, do you have any success stories for, for the collective? Yeah. I, I mean, we've had, um, we have a ton of success stories. We've served over 600 students now in the five years we've existed. One of the things we've done during COVID, which has been really helpful to local school districts is we've been putting together these art kits. We call them art survival kits, distribute them to elementary schools. And I think one of the important things going back to like getting into it when you're young The funny thing is, is like, I feel like, especially with art, people get especially self-conscious if they don't, like when you're a kid, you're just like, just like throwing stuff on the paper. And you just, it's so, you don't realize that tactile experience just really helps you cope with a lot of stuff. And so, you know, we started, Jenny had a student in 2015, I believe. This is before we actually established ourselves. He needed a guitar. We host this annual event um, where every year we had a different benefactor. Just private gathering. For many years, we just gave the money to local farmers markets so they could book music. And it just wasn't going well. Like people in our town just didn't really care that there was like, you know, like Tristan Omens playing a set in front of the North Brook Town Hall. <laughs> people just didn't appreciate it. Yeah. So that particular year, we decided to move away from that. We didn't have a benefactor. And Jenny came up and said, hey, listen, I got this kid. He's way into music. He's writing his own songs. He's borrowing his friend's guitar. And his friend's going to college. And this kid is definitely underserved. So she's like, can we take 500 bucks from our event and buy him a guitar? I said, we can do that. I said, I have three beautiful acoustic guitars i can't play them all and the older i get i'm just i'm just kind of like minimizing and just realizing what's i'm not a guitar collector i'm a guitar player and so i gave him my first tale of guitar and the kid was like over the moon and that day i was driving to unh um to go to work after i gave him the guitar and i was like here's what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do we're gonna help kids because we don't have kids of our own and we've always thought about what are we going to do to like help other people? We bought this farmhouse in 2003. We have a barn and we've always hosted community events for our friends and neighbors. Um, We help feed people. 
Sorry, my dog is. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's fine. Sorry, it's at home. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think a lot of our success stories are, um, especially during COVID. Like now, we are just serving more kids than ever. Even though it sounds like it wouldn't be possible, we're have, we're help, we're starting to reach into Portland, Maine. We're starting to reach our. Um, we're starting to reach in areas we hadn't before because people need that help. One of the things we try to do is establish some type of liaison in the community that we're serving just so that they can kind of act as a conduit with the student. Do you know where Bristol, New Hampshire is? Yes. Yeah. So one of our board, central. Yep. Yeah. One of our board members comes from that town. His, one of his best friends just moved back there and they cut the arts and music program. Oh, and we haven't done a lot in New Hampshire. What we have done has always been pretty substantial. Um, I bought a kid from Summersworth, uh, super nice precision bass. He was going, he's majoring in music at Southern Maine, uh, Southern Maine College, Southern Maine University. And um, University of Southern Maine. <laughs> Anyways, he... Um, you know, he's, we sent this kid through, um, this marching band. We sent him, we gave him money to go on tour with this marching band across North America, came back. We started giving him, he plays bass on drums. So I started giving him, I gave him a drum kit. So give him like a six string bass. He could just, you know, wail on. And then when he was leaving for college, I was, I was like, Hey man, what are you playing for bass? And he's like, well, I, you know, I got a Fender Squire. I'm like, go to the Fender shop right now and tell me what you want. You know? <laughs> so like Bristol is uh we happen to have a liaison there now. And even though it's not, um, I've heard from a couple of foundations that we should just try to focus on like a 30 mile radius and that's cool. But what I'm interested in doing is having that liaison in place. So now we've got a, we've got a guy in place. We're meeting next week. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself with that. Cause I don't know how it's going to go, but I know <laughs> you're excited. I remember. Yeah. It's exciting. And it's the type of, it's the type of town that we serve. And this guy is excited to work with us. So I feel like in New Hampshire, we haven't had that big splash yet in that one community that we can just really, because most of our board members live in Maine and a lot of our board members are teachers. So they have a direct connection with their school they're able to you know contact art and music teachers or even the school nurse a lot of times the school nurses um so yeah so school nurse you, will actually reply to the email the music yes. teacher uh. yeah. right that's right that's exactly that is very true or a you know the, the administrative assistant yes the secretary in the office, in the office or the, the nurse those are the two that'll reply to the email so if you're listening to this if you are a student or more likely if you are a parent of a student who needs um, who needs assistance in the way of musical instruments, art supplies, art music instruction, you can go to continuumarts.org slash apply, fill out an application, and I review all those personally. So You're a 501c3 too, right? We are 501c3, 100% volunteer driven. That's amazing. I, I definitely want people, you need, I will put a link to, in the episode description when I 
I, I post the episode to a link to everything. So definitely be sure to go to, if if you can't remember that, go to the go to New England Take on Facebook or Twitter, um, and I'll put it in the episode description of the podcast too. Because I think this is super important. The arts definitely need to be supported, especially through all this. Um, it, it's like the perfect opportunity for some kids to be able to. If they have an instrument, they're sitting around at home. They can't go off with their friends. They need to get off the darn computer screen for five minutes to do something else. It, it's fantastic yeah. for that. You know, the other that's interesting that you said the thing about the screens, because one of the things that we've realized, Jenny and I go down to Newport Folk Festival every year, and we first started going like 12 years ago, we started to realize like you would see people like Gregory Allen Isakoff, right? So he was discovered busking on the streets of Boulder. He's not a poor guy, but he's not a rich guy. He self-made guy. And now you're slowly seeing all those bands get replaced for all these trust fund kids who they, they, rich kids are not looking at screens, you know, they're not looking at screens because their parents have them involved in everything. And those are the people that are taking away, you know, with all due respect, it's like they're taking away what was once, you know, belonged to the working class. And that's what we pride ourselves on as being a working class arts organization. I love that. So I'll I'll definitely uh, link to everything on there. Please support these guys. The arts are very important, and we need to even through everything that else that's going on. It's important to the development of future generations. There's no way around that. Um, are, do you have a few more minutes so you can stick around? Absolutely. So here's what we're gonna do. So the, this episode's gonna broadcast with all this. We're gonna go Patreon only for a few more minutes here. We're gonna talk about Marty's musical journey and the reconstructed. And you can check that out if you go to thenewenglandtake.com. Three dollars a month, you can get. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna fill up more time than 45 minutes a week. So definitely, please go there and subscribe, and and we'll keep you interested. We'll do monthly hangouts too, where we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. I want to hear what what everyone thinks that I did wrong. <laughs> so please be sure to do that. <laughs> All right, you're um, doing a great job, dude. I just realized this is your first episode, and you're crushing it. So. Thank you. So, so Marty, Marty's kiss, kiss my ass now. So he's going to stick around a little longer and <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back with Chris Ryan, the host of New Hampshire today, uh, which broadcasts in the mornings on WKXL from six to 10, as well as uh, he's based out of WGIR in Manchester. We're going to talk about the future of radio. Uh, so please don't go anywhere. Don't miss that. You're listening to the New England take on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 and nhtalkradio.com. You can Catch the New England Take on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the New England Take on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. Be sure to follow the New England Take on Facebook and Twitter, and independently support the show on Patreon by going to thenewenglandtake.com. I'm also looking for advertising partners, so be sure to email thenewenglandtake at gmail.com to talk to me. Something I want to do with the show is talk to people in different industries, and I figured the best place to start was my own, so we'll start with radio. I'm excited to be joined by our morning show host, syndicated at WGIR and Manchester with his uh, morning news program, New Hampshire Today, uh, Chris Ryan. He also hosts the Press Pass here in WKXL. Uh, before this recent move, he was full-time here at KXL as our longtime host of New Hampshire Now and our general manager. Thanks for joining, joining me today, former boss. What up, AJ? <laughs> Why on earth do we work in this field? I mean, it's 
people keep saying like newspaper, like broadcast TV, radio's on its way out, but it really doesn't feel that way working in it. No, I mean, it's it's about figuring out how to transform the medium into meeting people where they are. And so I think that like this is a good way to do that. I think that, um, you know, realizing that people want things on demand. And so the days of letting you just do the show or just do the article are long gone. They've been gone for a long time. Uh, there's all the other aspects that go into it. I mean, if you're a newspaper person, you have to, um, you know, shoot video, you have to uh, do a podcast, you have to make sure you're active in social media. So everything has changed from, you know, a couple of generations ago in the medium where like you just kind of did your thing and that was it. Um, you can't get away with, with doing that anymore. So as for why we're in it, um, you know, I think that each person is different. I think that there's like a, a huge element of ego. There's probably some insanity. Um, but I think first off, like people in the news media, I mean, they want to pursue truth. I mean, there's something um, noble about that. There's something uh, important about that. And, you know, individuals will do it at local newspapers or local radio stations, local TV stations for, for minimal pay. I mean, it's mostly just a, a passion for those individuals, but you know, the medium is changing. It is not dying. The challenge has been monetizing it. Right. I mean, yeah, definitely. figuring out how to um, make money for a small radio station when, uh, or newspaper when, the marketplace has changed in that realm too. Like the advertisers want to meet people where they are too. And they realize that that is also on social media and um, by, you know, utilizing a robust digital campaign. So yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. It's going to continue to evolve. The people that will have success are the ones that figure out how to meet um, the client and the consumer where they are. I feel like radio is uniquely positioned to to jump into the more new media platforms where uh, with podcasting start blowing up about 10 years ago. I was just getting out of college in 2010 and um, like Stern, Opie and Anthony, Joe Rogan, they all jumped Simmons immediately. Into it. Bill, What's Simmons, that? Bill Simmons on the sports side was going yeah. straight in on the podcast. Wasn't even doing a radio thing. And I remember Mike Francesa, who is a huge figure, the sports Pope in New York on FAN. It's like, what's this guy doing? He's having like a gathering. He doesn't have a show. He has a gathering on a podcast. And, you know, Bill Simmons ended up being becoming a multimillionaire off of the ringer. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's at the point now where it is very popularized and mainstream and a podcast is kind of where it's at. And for a younger generation, uh, we both have young kids. Um, and, you know, my kids in that kind of middle school range, their entire media um, intake is YouTube and podcasts. And the old folks like us, you know, need to figure out where to, to meet people. I mean, there's obviously still some that listen to traditionally in the radio, but our generation is going to shift to where our kids are at and uh, if they haven't already and podcast on demand shows, Netflix, particularly in the COVID environment, that's where this is at. I feel like long form conversations too are beginning to get more and more popular. And with that, I mean, 
radios on 24 7 there's tons of talk radio stations they I feel like they started to kind of minimize 10 to 20 years ago but I feel like they're starting to come back and they're they're very popular i mean gir is am only correct yeah it's, it's am only we have the stream obviously and we do some podcast stuff and then there's uh qso on the seacoast which is 96.7 but yeah the gr fm is is rock 101 so i don't i don't know you know what the future is of AM radio that's been rumored for a long time to be dead and there's been um a lot of transition amongst even the highest power talk stations the 50,000 watt stations to have an FM broadcast so I, I do still think that the future is in digital and clearly is in digital um but I, I agree with you on the long form news uh newscasts and um people want more information they want more information than the sound bites that you get on a cable news or in particular on a nightly news format so that's why the podcast has become popular is that you know you just need to find a niche audience too i mean with the proliferation of um the internet individuals are able to find what they want so you can and cable TV really started this, like with Home Home and Garden yeah. and all that. Like you, these shows took off because there's so many different channels, and there's if you're able to access the majority of 330 million Americans, you're gonna find even if it's 0.1 percent, you're gonna find yourself three million people. So um, yeah, I mean that's kind of the the delusion I feel like with cable t- cable news television right now. It's like yeah, they got a few million views, but I mean you're talking Rogan. He's got hundreds of millions of downloads a month, and those are three hour conversations with random people. Um, and then it's a bunch of uh, especially the iHeart stations have very popular podcast versions of their morning shows, and it. They they don't want that thirty second soundbite anymore. I feel like shows like The View and and things like that are going to go away with the the Boomer Gen X generations and the Millennials, which I'm in the middle of, and Zoomers are going to be all in on these longer form, more conversational. Uh, actually, dive into it and what people think. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what the what happens with the traditional media giants because as you referenced the numbers are not there as compared to what's taking place digitally and on youtube um youtube is insanely uh popular amongst um younger generation in fact i did some digital media research on this recently and uh youtube is actually the most popular social media platform um, in Massachusetts for individuals between the ages of um, 16 and 34. So it's po- more popular than Facebook, which is the boomer, uh, <laughs> boomer social media now. It's more popular than Instagram even or TikTok. YouTube is the most, po- uh, most potent and powerful um, social media platform. Now, what about you, Chris? Why do you stick with it? Um because people will still pay me for some reason. <laughs> What's wrong with them? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much, no. I mean, I, I enjoy learning. Um, I enjoy uh, the long form interview process. You know, one of the, um, the challenges in the format here so far has been the fact that um, you know, the interviews are shorter than the ones I did before. Like I, would like to do usually like 20 to 25 minutes if possible with people. And we're a little bit shorter than that. Um, we're able to extend it out beyond what your typical 
um, you know, newsmaker interviews about six to eight minutes to 12 or 15 minutes in some circumstances. But yeah, I mean, it's basically to, um, you know, to learn, th- to learn. And my dad was a teacher and, you know, I believe that you have to entertain in order to inform. So I feel like we're having, we're in a, a crisis now where there's less, um, you know, uh, trustworthy information that is, out there and that we have gotten to a place where you know the left and the right control the narrative it's kind of like what you're talking about with the cable news um stations but you know in a state like new hampshire 43 percent is where i'm at which is in the middle as an independent and who is present who is representing you know those folks from a uh a media perspective or an opinion perspective so you know i feel like i have a number of um kind of missions and advocacy aspects of things. So that's really what drives me. I mean, if I, once I get to the point where, um, you know, I have nothing left to say, or I don't have any opinions, um, you know, and I have become irrelevant, like it's time to, to put me out to pasture. And there's obviously a lot of folks in media that have outstayed their uh, welcome and you can scan the dial and find them. Um, but I think that, you know, once, once you have nothing left to say, or you're just saying the same thing over and over again, it's, it's probably time to pack it up. How many people do you think hate listen to you and how fun is it that they do it? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you were, we're going into the ratings period here now. Um, I think that, uh, I think that we have a, a significant amount of those uh, individuals, and you know, uh, I'm I'm I enjoy good arguments. I enjoy trying to win people over at the end of it. So I enjoy being hated with the notion that at the end of it they may uh, come around or they may actually deep down um like me but i get hated on both sides you do i mean you're you're very much in the middle like you're one day you're annoying someone on the right and then the next day really from segment to segment um we'll we'll monitor that and i'll you know go after trump or we'll make fun of him for his wedding speech the other night where he was you know blessing the union these two folks and spent uh five minutes talking about uh how people should miss him and how uh you know the uh the border crisis was going to ruin the world and all that. And then, oh uh, yeah, the, the couple. And so then we get, we get people on that and then I'll criticize Biden on, you know, spending stuff. And so it's, uh, you get it from, from both sides. And what's funny is that, you know, people think that it's both a blessing and a curse when people think that you're on their side and yeah, I'm on your side on this one, but that doesn't mean I'm on your side of the next one or I'm on your side in general. Um, and you know, that's what being a independent is. It's looking and it, frankly, it's missing right now, looking at each issue and you can agree or disagree with me, but looking at each issue and, you know, being consistent in, um, looking at it from what's best for everybody and calling people out based upon what they've done wrong, not because of what political party they are. I mean, it drives people nuts. You watch TV and you watch Sean Hannity and he's not going to go after Donald Trump on anything. He's going to go after Andrew Cuomo. You watch Rachel Maddow and they're not going to go after Biden on much of anything unless it's egregious. And people get tired of that. Thanks so much for joining me, Chris, for my inaugural episode of the New England Take. I really appreciate it. Listen to New Hampshire today on WKXL from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Actually, we have an extra hour here on KXL of uh, New Hampshire today. So please be sure to check that out as well as the press pass here on WKXL. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me, Chris.
AJ, thank you. And uh, best of luck with this. You're the best. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the New England Take on WKXL, 1450 AM and 103.9 FM, nhtalkradio.com. Be sure to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Handle is New England Take. Also, we have the Patreon page. Check that out by going to thenewenglandtake.com and support the show independently. You can pay monthly to receive the show a day early, monthly hangouts, as well as sponsorship opportunities if you want to be a larger supporter to promote your business, enterprise, Facebook page, whatever you want. We'll figure it out. So be sure to go to thenewenglandtake.com to learn more about that. The New England Take broadcasts weekly on Fridays at 6 p.m. and is also podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify so you can subscribe on your mobile device and never miss an episode. We'll talk to you next week.